0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Wenton, California. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, if you will, please. Luke chapter 1. While you're turning there, remember, as we're looking at John the Baptizer, you remember that the angel Gabriel came to John's father Zacharias... And told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son in their old age. And this son would be the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ of Israel. Zacharias had a hard time believing, since he and Elizabeth had no children, and now they were advanced in years. And so, as a sign... The Lord took away Zacharias' speech. He would not be able to speak until his son would be born and he would name his son John. Nine months had passed. Zacharias was unable to utter a word. Until the time when Elizabeth gave birth to her first son, And they asked what the name of the child should be. The Lord loosened Zacharias' tongue and he said his name will be John. After the declaration of this child, the child's name, he sang this song. And you find it here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath Which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless the reading of his word. It is interesting after the silence of Zacharias had been broken, the first words from his mouth were words of praise to the Lord. I'm sure over the nine months that his wife Elizabeth, was carrying their child in her womb, Zacharias had time to think about what God was about to do. And it is evident from this song that in the course of his deliberation, Zacharias remembered much of what he had learned as a child, as a young man, as an adult, as he ministered before the Lord at the temple, as he had gone to Sabbath school and had learned the lessons of the Old Testament from the rabbis, as he had listened to his parents speak of their Uh, relationship with God and the, the relationship that Israel had with God down through the ages. He learned his lessons well. And he drew from those lessons these words of praise offered to God. This song is called the Benedictus in the Latin. It is a song of praise to the Lord, and in it, Zacharias gives God the glory for two specific reasons. Number one, that indeed the promise of God to him and to Elizabeth had been fulfilled, and she bore him a son, and his name was John. But secondly, Zacharias, and more importantly, Zacharias offers up praise to the Lord God for salvation for salvation how often do you thank god and praise god for the salvation that he has blessed you with i fear for many of us we take it for granted that god has loved us and god has sent his son jesus to die on a cross for us and now that we have confessed Him as Lord and Savior, we have the forgiveness of sin. We have the promise of eternal life in Him. We have the assurance of a place in His kingdom. I think we take such wonderful gifts, such powerful gifts, for granted. It should be like Zacharias each and every day for us to offer the Lord a song of praise. For the salvation which He has promised and delivered to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here in verses 76 through 80. We'll focus our attention on these verses this morning. Although the entire song of Zacharias is worthy of our study, but we're focusing our attention upon John because John has been set aside by the Lord God in his mother's womb to be the one who goes before the Christ to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And you'll notice here that Zacharias, in verse 76, addresses his infant son and says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest or the most high one the Hebrew name for God, El Elyon, which means the supreme God, the God superior to all gods. He offers this word of praise to the Lord who has revealed himself by fulfilling his promise to Zacharias. But he also thanks God that this child will have meaning and purpose in his life. And by the way, dear friends, every child that God has blessed us with has meaning and purpose in their life. They are a gift from God. And we are to honor that child, those children, as gifts from God, filled with not only potential as human beings, but filled with great prospects, with great... Wonder and awe because they are not only a part of our flesh but they are also heaven sent and we need to honor them and we need to honor God for them so John is going to be called a prophet and we know from reading through the gospels that he was acknowledged by everyone in the land of Israel as being a great prophet. He would be the last prophet of the Old Testament period. Jesus would say that of all of the sons born to women, John is the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. As a prophet, John the baptizer would fulfill two functions as do all prophets, both of the Old and the New Testaments, fulfill. First of all, John would disclose God's plan of salvation. It's interesting to me how uh, many times in the Christian church, uh, when we uh, preach on, when we study in Bible study, prophecy in the Old Testament or in the New Testament how much we overlook the truth that all prophecy is given with an underlying message of salvation. The Testaments declare both old and new through the prophets God sends word to his people that he's going to save them. He will save them from their enemies, he will save them from disaster, he will save them from uh, the foreigners, he will save them from pestilence, he will save them from famine, he will save them from themselves, he will save them from sin. The great prophecy that we are awaiting for God to fulfill is disclosed in the book of the Revelation. And while we get caught up in the minutia of the book of the Revelation, the plagues and, and uh, when Christ is coming and the, the rapture of the church and the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of the horrible and the terrible things that God is going to pour out upon the earth in the last days, we forget that God does these things with salvation in mind. He is working out his plan of redemption. He is showing himself to a sinful and rebellious people that he is El Elyon, the great and the mighty God, the highest God, the the superior God, the God of gods, and that we should have respect and have honor for him. Even the book of the Revelation is about Salvation bringing lost people to faith in him and saving his people from the destruction that he pours out upon the ungodly. So the first function that John the baptizer will fulfill in his life is that he would disclose God's plan of salvation. And that message of salvation, again, uh, is scattered throughout This benedictus of Zacharias. The second aspect of biblical prophecy that John would fulfill is that he would declare God's truth to God's people. Interesting again, as we discovered last Sunday, God's people were in dire need of God's truth. Because over the course of their history, they had become dull in their spirit. They had become ignorant of God's word. They had become corrupt in their religion. And they had embraced the the false interpretations and uh, and the uh, twisting of God's word uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as their leaders had Duped them into believing. They needed to hear God's truth once again, and John would be the vehicle through which that truth would be made known to God's people. Now, when we think of a prophet, normally we think of a foreteller of future events. We think of someone who reveals God's plan for the future. And there is justification for that. Daniel, in the Old Testament, was one of many prophets. He spoke of the kingdoms that would rise and fall after the kingdom of Babylon. He also spoke of an eternal kingdom whose ruler would be the Son of Man, the Christ whom God would send. In the New Testament, we have John the Apostle. He was a prophet, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But he wrote the book of the Revelation, which again reveals God's plan for the end times, which is yet to come. Zacharias here is fulfilling the office of a prophet as he sings this song of what his child would be and how his child would affect the kingdom of God in the life of Israel. He said that his son would prepare the people of God for their Messiah and that God would bring salvation to his people through their Messiah. This was yet to come. This was 30 years away because John was just an infant, had just been born. Zechariah knew the word of God well enough to know that in this promised son, God was going to do something wonderful. He was going to do something great. He was going to do something that was unheard of in the history of mankind. He would send a savior. He would send an individual who would bring to the people of the world a salvation. A salvation that they could not earn. A salvation that they could not manufacture for themselves. A salvation that they could not inherit from their fathers and mothers. But a salvation that came fresh from the hand of God as a free gift. But the second function of the prophet was to declare God's truth to the current generation. To preach God's truth to people who needed to hear God's truth. And that is a desperate need in our world today. It is a desperate need in our country today. It's a desperate need in California. It's a desperate need in Winton, and Atwater, and Merced, and Cressy, and Belico, and Livingston, and, and all surrounding areas. It is a desperate need for people to be aware of God's truth. And we have been declared by the Lord Jesus Christ, set aside to declare that truth to the people of this area. Jesus said Uh, As a departing word to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. As you go, I want you to declare to the peoples of the earth all that I have taught you. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have taught you, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. We have been given that divine assignment to be prophets in our world today. Not the classic prophet of the Old Testament to foretell future events or to interpret future events, but to tell the truth of God to a people who are lost and dying without Christ. As a prophet of God, John the baptizer would call all of Israel to repent of their sins and to be baptized in preparation for the coming kingdom of God. Was his message popular among the common folks? Yes. Thousands upon thousands of people responded to John's message and met with him down at the Jordan River. And was, they were baptized Confessing their sins, they were baptized in preparation for the coming kingdom of Christ. But he was reviled by the elders of Israel, by the religious leaders of Israel. He was looked upon as a charlatan. He was looked upon as a false prophet. He was looked upon as an individual that was out of his mind. After all, he didn't go to their schools, he didn't learn from their teachers. He wasn't registered in their role of rabbis, recognized rabbis in the region. They felt that he was an anomaly, a dangerous anomaly, yes, but anomaly nonetheless. They didn't care for his message of repentance. They didn't feel like they needed to repent. Why do we need to repent of sin? We're priests. We're the sons and the daughters of Abraham. We do not need to repent of sin. We're already in the kingdom of God by virtue of our birth. But John did not back down in his message to the common people or to the clergy. He looked at the clergy on one day as they were gathered there to watch this spectacle of baptism. And they mocked him. And John looked at them and called them a pit of vipers. They needed to repent of their sin as well, and they needed to produce fruit of repentance before they could be accepted in the kingdom of God. Notice in verse 76, Zechariah said his son would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, and that would be his primary purpose. Six months older than Jesus, his cousin, he would be on the scene engaged in his ministry before, six months before Jesus would come to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so John was already getting the message out that the people needed to hear that the kingdom of God is coming and they need to get ready for it. He would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ with the expressed purpose of preparing the people for their Savior. And he would do this through three specific means that we find in verse 77, 78, and 79. Look at them, if you will please, those three verses. Three specific ways and means in which John is going to prepare the people for the coming kingdom. And it is important that we understand his method of preparation, because that is also our method of preparing people for the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Do you believe that he is bringing his kingdom with him when he returns? Do you believe that people need to know that Jesus is coming again? Do they need to know that there is a kingdom that's coming that they can inherit when it appears? then we need to prepare them for it. And how do we prepare them for it? The same way that John prepared the Hebrews in his day for the coming kingdom of Christ. Look at verses 77 and 78. John would give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of God with which the day spring from on high has visited. Second, in verse 79, he would give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And third, in verse 79, he would guide their feet into the way of peace. These are the three ways in which John would prepare the people for the coming Christ. all three of them emphasize the need for salvation. All of them emphasize the need of repentance from sin. People need to know about salvation. They need to know the truth about salvation. I firmly believe that In many instances, the doctrine of salvation has been so misunderstood, misinterpreted in our day today that people have no clue what it means to be saved or how to be saved. To be saved means to be rescued or delivered from something that is deadly, destructive. When Moses led Israel out of Egypt, he rescued them from slavery, and he delivered them from certain death at the hands of the Egyptian pharaohs. He was a savior, in a manner of speaking, a savior to the Hebrew people. He led them out of slavery. He led them out of certain destruction. Another word that the Bible uses for salvation is redemption. To be redeemed. That word means to buy back. It means to release someone from a prison by means of a ransom, a payment. When Moses led Israel out of Egypt a ransom was paid for their release. But Moses didn't pay the ransom for Israel's release. God didn't pay the ransom for Israel's release. The Egyptians paid the ransom for Israel's release. They paid that ransom through their suffering under the plagues that God sent to punish them for enslaving His people and for abusing them while they were slaves in Egypt. And you say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. We're not enslaved by any foreign power that you know of, we're not enslaved by some foreign monarch. Like people were a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, when certain nations colonized known worlds and people were enslaved under those foreign rulers. So why do we need to talk about salvation as freedom from slavery or redemption as someone paying the ransom for our freedom? Because, dear friends, we are enslaved. We are enslaved. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 34 Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And since all of us have sinned, Romans three twenty three, all of us have become slaves to sin. And since the payment for sin is death, according to Romans 6.23, every one of us will die for having sinned against God. Because that's the penalty for sin. And there's no getting around it. There's no escaping it. It is the just judgment of God upon all who rebel against Him. But... As God sent Moses to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt, He has also sent His Son Jesus Christ to deliver us from slavery to sin that leads to death. And He is the only means whereby that salvation comes to us. It does not come to us through the church. It does not come to us through religion. It does not come through us through ordinances. It does not come to us through different dispensations of grace that may be uh, manufactured by a religious group. It doesn't come through the things that we do to better ourselves. It only comes through faith in and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's the truth that people need to hear. It's the biblical truth that people need to understand. Jesus, in his speaking to Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word perish means destruction, total destruction. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The only provision that God has made for our own destruction in sin is His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to be our ransom, to pay the price for our freedom, from sin and from death. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul wrote to his Young friend Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You're a slave to sin without Jesus. And you may very well say, well, I don't need Jesus Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not a slave to sin. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You do what your sinful nature dictates you to do. You do what your sinful mind tells you to do. You do what your sinful will compels you to do. Without Jesus Christ, you will will continue to be enslaved to sin. So God sent John the baptizer to prepare the Jews for their Messiah, their Savior, and their Redeemer. And John came out of the wilderness preaching a very simple but powerful message. And his words were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand, and that same truth must be preached and it must be taught and it must be witnessed today. People don't like to hear it, doesn't matter if they don't like to hear it, they must hear it. People don't want to hear it, but it doesn't matter, people need to hear it. Life is short, eternity is long. And hell is hot for all who find themselves in that dreaded place because they have no regard for the Son of God. What does it mean to sin? It means to rebel against God. It means to disobey the moral laws of God. And Jesus makes it very clear in his Sermon on the Mount, that sin is not just what we do, it's also what we think, it's also how we feel, it's also the motivation uh, uh, behind our actions. People do not sin just with their hands, People also sin with their lips, their words. They also sin with their eyes and seeing things they ought not to see. They also sin with their ears and hearing things they ought not to hear. They also sin with their thoughts and things they ought not to think. They also sin in their heart, having affections they ought not to have and also producing deeds of sin and deeds of wickedness and evil out of the sinful motivations of their heart. That's what it means to sin. Dear friends, (laughs) the height and the depth and the breadth of sin is phenomenal. We sin in our conversations with our friends. We sin when we post certain things on Facebook. We sin when we Twitter. When we tweet on Twitter. That's I don't do that so I don't know if you tweet on Twitter or you Twitter on tweet, I don't know. (laughs) We sin in a thousand different ways. We rebel against God in a multitude of ways. And we're not even aware of it. But just as John told the common folk and the clergy in his day that they were sinners and they didn't like it, but it was necessary, he also told them that the remedy for sin was to repent. And what does the word repentance mean? It means to stop rebelling against God. Just stop it. Don't do it anymore. Well, how do I, how do I stop it? If, I, if, I, if my will is bent to sin and if my mind is saturated with sinful thoughts and if my motives are always questionable and my affections are misplaced, then how do I stop sinning? Well, the first aspect of repentance is to turn away from your sin to turn away from your rebellion. But there's a second aspect to repentance, and that is turn to God. Turn away from your sin, but turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who is able to help you overcome the sin. To repent is to stop rebelling against God and to humbly surrender to His authority, His word, and His will. You get rid of the sinful tendencies in your life. You have to replace that vacuum with something that is wonderful, something that is beneficial, something that is great, something that is holy and high. Otherwise, those sinful things will come back into your life. Nature hates a vacuum. So if you're going to get rid of the things that are ungodly, you've got to replace those things with things that are godly. Your thoughts, your affections, your motivations, so on and so forth. Paul said that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Turn away from rebellion. Turn back to respect and to honor The Lord. So John the Baptizer prepared the people for the coming of Jesus Christ by giving them knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercy of God with which Christ from on high came to bring. And understand, dear friends, in the era in which we're living, the period and time in which we're living, God is merciful. Is he not? He is merciful. He calls you and he continues to draw you to his son Jesus Christ because he wants you to be saved. God is not slack concerning his promises like some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's mercy. And God is showing to you day in and day out His mercy. And He's showing our country, He is showing our state, He is showing our communities His mercy by allowing us to continue to exist even though we rebel against Him as a people. But there is coming a day when that mercy is going to be withdrawn. And God will no longer be the merciful and the gracious Savior. He will be the righteous and the just judge who will deal with sin as only God can deal with sin. Second, John prepared the people for the coming of Jesus Christ by giving light. Notice that in verse 79. By giving light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Aren't you glad we have light? You remember a couple of Sundays back when the electricity went off and we were all sitting here in the dark? I think it was a greeting time at that time, was it not, Dave? It was greeting time and people were wandering around, stumbling into pews and stumbling into one another. We need the light. Amen? We need light. We need light so that we can see what's hidden by the dark. We can't find our way when our path is shrouded in darkness. That's why on the very first day of creation and the very first act of creation, God created light. Let there be light. And there was light. And then he divided the light from The darkness. Aren't you glad for that? We don't have to live in darkness. In Scripture, darkness is often used as a metaphor for sin, for evil, and for wickedness. Since all have sinned against God, which leads to death, and we've all sinned against God, then all of us live in the shadow, the darkness. Of death. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, He who believes in Christ is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. In God. John uses this interplay between light and darkness, and he uses them as metaphors for what is sinful and what is righteous, what is bad and what is good, what is worldly and what is godly. And here Jesus is saying that because we love our worldliness, because we love our sin, because we love our rebellion against God, we refuse to come to His righteousness because our sin will be exposed. And no one likes their sin to be exposed. But unless that sin is exposed unless it's acknowledged, unless it's repented of, unless it's forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, that sin continues to condemn us. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Israel had lived in and languished in the darkness of sin and death in their souls. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to shine the light of salvation upon them so they could see their way back to God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. Israel as a nation refused to come to the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. They loved the darkness of their sin and they loved their disobedience more than they loved the truth of God. But we don't have to live in that darkness. Jesus has come to offer the light of His salvation. Third and finally, John the baptizer prepared the people for the coming of the Savior by guiding their feet into the way of peace. Again, verse 79. Guiding their feet into the way of peace. Almost a a funny picture, if you will. Here, this wild man from the wilderness, this preacher of repentance and righteousness comes to a cultured people, comes to a civilized People, comes to a people that are well entrenched in their religion, well entrenched in their family life, well entrenched in their culture. And he comes to them to teach them how to walk, to teach them how to walk the pathway of peace. He did this by identifying. Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If sin is rebellion against God, then the sinner is at war with God. And the only solution to this war is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a funny thing that the elders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they, didn't ha- they had no clue that they were at war with God. They had no clue that they were estranged from God. They had no clue that daily as they served in the temple, offering the sacrifices, receiving the sacrifices from the people and offering the sacrifices to God, they had no clue that God was not even present in the temple. He had left them years and years ago under the administration of Ezekiel. And he had not returned until Jesus Christ came. But they hadn't any clue... That God had been absent from them all of those years, at war with God and not even knowing it. Israel, like many people today, believed that their religion, their traditions, their ceremonies, their rituals, their false theology made peace with God. Not so. Not so. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, which ransom was paid by his own death, brought peace to the human condition. Only his death and resurrection can give us life. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, and I'll close. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That was the question Jesus asked Martha as Jesus had traveled to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. He asked Martha, point blank, Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? That's the question he asks you. That's the question he asks me. That's the question we ought to be asking other people. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Is he your resurrection and life? So John was sent by God to prepare Israel for the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. His message was simple, but powerful. Repent of your sin and be baptized in preparation for the coming kingdom of God. Our message today ought to be just as simple. We don't need flowery language. We don't need theological argumentation. We don't need all kinds of, uh, of outlines to memorize and, and a whole bank of Scripture verses uh, in our pocket. All we need to do is tell people that a Savior has come to give them eternal life and His name is Jesus. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus who can save you from that sin. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we will take to heart the example of John. Lord, I, we make things too complicated. Uh, we, we have this mindset that if, that, you know, that it's only genuine and it's only real if it's too confusing to understand. It, it's kind of like Uh, The best product we can buy is the most expensive and that's just not so. People need to hear the clear message of truth. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God help us simply to Declare that truth to those around us. Help us, Lord, to be fervent as John was fervent in his day. To not back down from the difficulties, to not back away from the obstacles, but to simply stand firm in the truth that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, for the harvest that will come when we obediently declare Jesus Christ, the answer to the sin-sick soul. And may we do so, Lord, faithfully, because I ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you and have a great day in the Lord today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org o-r-g